0: Cinephile. Oftentimes, we love discussing the Oscars and saying, what's the greatest miscarriage of justice? People love saying, all right, what should have won Best Picture that did you know, Ordinary People of a Raging Bull, Dances with Wolves and for Goodfellas, Hull fiction of Losing a Forrest Gump. Oh, my goodness. Warren Beatty apparently read the wrong name. This trouble, is incredible. Man. Moonlight won ah. Best Picture. Cinephile. What do you say to those critics who say, listen, Jerry Bruckheimer's movies make a ton of money, but they lack the substance and quality of classic cinema? You
1: no, know, I make movies for audiences for popular, popular. culture same person who likes my dinner with Andre is not going to like Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm thrilled to have Jeremy Renner with us. Is there any kind
0: of friendly competitiveness on set with you guys? I
2: think yeah, there's this more
0: uh, suit and it. it's The great and lovely and talented Jessica Alba is here with us in studio. Thanks so much for coming
3: by. Thanks for having me.
0: The great Richard Lewis is joining us. At what point did you find that voice? Did you realize you could channel all this pain into humor and be the Prince of Pain?
1: I was about five hours old, and I was being <laughs> put down by my family. Cinephile. Does Adnan Virk look like the undercover CIA agent who saves James Bond by killing a crime boss's henchman, smiles wide, extends his hand, and says to 007, Welcome to Tangier. <laughs> Cinephile, the Adnan Verk movie podcast.
0: back once again Black Panther coming out got a review cash off the presses but well, me and my man Ben Lyons kind of have to join us once again. We are also recapping our Sundance adventures. Thanks so much to everybody who listened last time. Uh, Ben saw 14 movies. I saw eight films. You heard the interviews of the people that I spoke to. And this time you're going to hear all the interviews that Ben compiled. And he's got some heavyweights, particularly Imagine Dragons, Black Eyed Peas, Will I Am? It's awesome. So we continue, um, our Sundance adventures. And thanks to everybody, like I said, who listened last time. I neglected, I had started. I think off the top, and I'd forgotten to tell the Nick Cage preamble, so I'm going to tell it now because I told Ben this afterwards. So when we were waiting for Nick Cage, as I said, you had to talk to him, Amanda Risborough, Linus Roach, and the director, Panos uh, Cosmatos. So there's all this film, Mandy, which, by the way, Passport, are we, are we, do we have a chance at a screener on Mandy? Efforting. Oh, efforting, okay. I, I really want to see this movie. So most of the journalists there are going and they're talking all for them. You've got like eight to ten minutes. And I could, I'm listening to all the interviews, right? So I'd heard a couple of them mention, okay, it sounds like this gonzo – Violent thriller. Nick Cage doing Nick Cage things. My God, I think I got the basic gist of it. Reporter from the Hollywood Reporter says to Nick Cage, "What's the cra...?" And it's a restaurant, Park City. This is when I'm about to go to the dock. Like I'm like I'm just getting Nick Cage, and I'm officially out on Sundays. And he says to him, "What's the craziest purchase you've ever made?" And Nick Cage looks at him and goes, "Why are you asking me that?" Stone cold. Like Nick Cage is a movie star. He walked in. I'm like. He had the red-tinted sunglasses, like Big Jack. Like, he is an intimidating presence. This is a movie star. You don't mess with this guy. And he goes, why are you asking me that? The guy goes, oh, I was just, uh, you know, just curious. And he goes, no, you know why you're asking me that. Silence. The entire restaurant's like, oh, my God, Nicholas Cage is about to go crazy with this guy. Or he might just leave. They he goes, well, well, how about your charity work? He goes, really? You want me to brag about my charity work? <laughs> <laughs> and now everybody's officially uncomfortable. And he just oh, goes, he goes, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and then Kate just goes, get him out of here. Literally, I feel like he's in like kiss of death. He's like, get him out of here, get him out of here. Like he just goes, get him out of here. And he looked at and the PR guy didn't react right away. Rob Fleming, he was like, really need right, to get him out of here. And he goes, no, listen, I'm here to talk with the film. If you want to talk about the film? If not, get him out of here. goes, no, i just to-. And, he- and the, the guy could be hung in there. He looked at him. and was like, one more. And I'm like, one more. Get out of here. He's gonna leave. He's gonna get rid of about all of us. So after he left. I immediately do a Google search because so I'm like, okay, what, what was this guy doing? So I just Googled Nick Cage money. Apparently he's made some purchases. If you look up Nicholas Cage money, he like, he bought a castle, like he bought these crazy things. I'm like, all right. So this guy was trying to dig into that and he said some financial issues. He was, I think he was worth a hundred million. Now he's worth 25 million. He owes six million to the IRS. And my question to all of you is this. What kind of an idiot starts asking Nicholas Cage about this? Like, do you not understand? This is not the forum. This is not the venue. To start asking about purchases you've made? Like, what are you doing? You're going to ruin that for all of us. There was a good chance Nick Cage, Ben,
1: was going to be offended and go, I'm out of here, man. Like, I don't need to do this stuff. The, the journalist, to his credit, was very curious on how Nick Cage used his Ghost Rider residuals. <laughs> I get it. That movie opened at $40 million.
0: A future Lion's Den, you have to tell us the most cringeworthy incident you ever had with a Hollywood actor, director, screenwriter, et cetera. You have one? I have several. I've been doing this for a long time. So we can turn that into a whole separate podcast if you want to. Uh, I cannot wait. Line said. So that was one addendum to that cage story. But here we go. Um. By the way, thanks so much to the crew from the Academy. Of course, Ben is the one who first hooked me up with them last year. And then they were kind enough to fly me out to do some uh, vignettes some segments, which you'll see on Oscar.com in the week leading up to the Oscars. So it'll You be, and Wolfgang Puck, huh? Unbelievable, dude. Like he's, he's making the food for me for the Governor's Ball, which for those who do not know, the Governor's Ball uh, takes place after the Academy Awards. They feed 1,500 people, which is all the members of the Academy, and then it's another 2,000 as far as technicians and technical groups. So Wolfgang Puck told me they cook for 3,500 people, and he cooked for me all the food that they make. And he doesn't know what a... Uh, what a he's not aware of Scorsese stories on Cinephile, and he just dropped it in there. He goes, oh, this is the pasta Annyelotti, he goes. Oh, Martin Scorsese, he goes crazy for it. I go, wait, what? He goes. Oh, every time Marty sees me, he goes, "Where's that pasta? I go, okay, I want that pasta." I go, "What is it called?" He goes, "Annyelotti." I'm like, awesome. I go, I want to eat the food that Marty eats,
1: and then you got to try the salmon pizza, the tuna corn. Christopher Nolan loved the tuna corn, the salmon pizza. That is a dead on Wolfgang. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So the annulotti was incredible. Like it was I'm like, yeah, I know I'm already through this stuff. It's awesome. And of course, Ben, you know this. These shishi places, you know, it's the Oscars. You get like four little pieces of pasta. I'm like, dude, come on. I had like five. Like, let's go. Let's get this thing going. Maybe the beef sliders, which are fine. And I go, again, Wolfgang. It's the Kobe beef sliders, not
1: for Kobe Bryant, Adnan.
0: (laughs) I said, Wolfgang Chef, you cannot just have one. He goes, Well, we like to limit it to two. You know, most people just want two. I'm like, all right. I go, well, who eats the most? Like, when you got to the sweet dishes, there's these mini Oscars, like dark chocolate. You bite into a little raspberry fillings. all right. More of a milk chocolate guy. And I go, who likes the dessert the most? And he goes, well, Tom Hanks, as soon as he sees me, he goes, I want two of those right away, the mini ones. He goes, we know who loves it the most. And honestly, I could have guessed it if I'd really thought about it. The person that loved, yeah, Dan, do you guess which Hollywood actor would like the sweets the most? Not, not overweight, but just someone that I'm like, yeah, I could see him liking sweets. An actor? Yeah. I mean, I'm just
1: gonna guess our guy Michael Shannon.
0: No, I know no. who it is. I know who it is. Uh, Rick? Not overweight, but you can see him liking Sweet. with a sweet tooth. I mean, Hanks for sure, like, that makes total Hanks with, and he said he's the nicest, they gave me two. Oh man.
1: I'm gonna go Harrison Ford. Good guess. It Jonah Hill.
0: No, no, John Travolta. <laughs>
4: Now that you say it, it makes sense. As
0: soon as he said it, I go, I could see Travolta be like, eh, just, hey, I just, I just want the sweets. I'm like, yes. Uh, but he's hilarious, Ben. As you've heard my Ben's impression, he's a character. It's well, very my, funny.
1: Adnan, full disclosure, my power forward on my high school basketball team, Michael Cassar, worked at Spago with Wolfgang for the first seven years we lived in LA. He oh, was nice. an assistant manager and then became a manager at Spago. So, yeah, lots of, lots of salmon pizza for the boys. Well, yeah. but, the Ben,
0: cause I just want stories, right? So I'm like, tell me about De Niro. And he's like, God, oh, De Niro's great. He goes, he just, he always says, give me a bit of everything because he, he doesn't know what he wants. He wants everything. I go, Pacino. He goes, ah, he rarely comes anymore because I don't, I don't ever see him come here. He goes, he comes to my restaurant, Spago, once in a while. It's very quiet. Sits in the back, maybe a friend. He's just he's, he's in his own world. I'm like like yeah.
1: Spago in the '80s did so much for Los Angeles, right? It was originally on Sunset. Now it's down in Beverly Hills. But first, open air kitchen made the kitchen kind of the centerpiece where you go into a big restaurant, a hot restaurant like that, and you can see all the chefs working. And it just became like. The place. I mean, Magic Johnson, Michael Jackson, Harrison Ford were all kind of rubbing shoulders, having salmon pizza. And Wolfgang created an empire <laughs> off that little spot on sunset. It's amazing, man, the way they put it all together. So once again,
0: that is coming to Oscar.com. Also my interviews with Rebecca Keegan. Um, she's great. We went through all the movies and all the major categories. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And thanks to the entire crew for having me out
1: there and. I got to hang with my buddy, Ben Lyons, because you hooked us up with a screening of Black Panther. I said, Adnan's in town, and what should we do? Let's go to the Disney lot. He's never been on Donald Duck Drive, so let's go check out Black Panther, which is directed by Ryan Coogler, who is one of the most intelligent people I've ever met working in Hollywood. I gotten to know Ryan a little bit through all the Fruitvale Station coverage I did, and we went to Zurich in Switzerland for the film festival with his beautiful now-fiancé, Zinzi, and and he's just... um a really intelligent guy and asks questions that no one else asks you. Like, Hey man, and he's got that real Oakland draw. What kind of books you reading, Ben? Uh, you talked to your grandma recently. It's important we connect with our elders. And you're like, oh, wow. You, yes, I should call my grandmother Ryan Googler. Um And you can see <laughs> that intelligence shine through even in a comic book movie, which is what Black Panther is. Let's not let's not, you know, call this something else. It's not transcending the genre. It's not a film that's going to be nominated for Best Picture. And these are not shots at the film. It's a really good comic book movie, but it's done with a careful hand from Coogler, who I think really kind of t- introduces audiences to this world, because let's be honest, I didn't know anything about Wakanda and the history of the Black Panther and anything about this universe. Um, and the way he's able to use Michael B. Jordan, who he's directed now a few times, I think it's the third time he's worked with Mike, who's menacing and is a villain in this, but has a backstory and... I don't know. I thought for a fantastical movie about uranium or whatever the the eumonium or whatever the substance is that fuels all the Avengers and all this stuff. For a movie about fantasy and comic books. To have it start in Oakland and to be grounded in, in, in some sense of reality, I thought, um, really added to it. And I enjoyed it. Uh, I loved it. I didn't think it was Christopher Nolan, Dark Knight or anything like that, but it's just a really good, fun comic book movie.
0: It was great that we get to watch it, that screening, because you could feel the buzz there. And even there's a woman outside afterwards who's like, I'm just so proud to be black. And, and you're right, because, you don't see a story, I mean, this type of diversity, all black cast, and like you said, this is like diving into like the real ancestry. Like, there's there's characters in Africa, and Ryan Coogler really takes his time setting up that atmosphere and going in deep. I, I agree with you, I think it's going to be a huge hit, and I liked it, but I'm just saying, as a guy who suffers from superhero fatigue, I was not raving about Black Panther, but I, I fully copped to... That is no, uh I'm not impugning the craftsmanship with which it's made. I think, like you said, it's going to be a huge hit. People who love superhero movies are going to love it. I like the fact that one sequence, the one action set piece, you, you nudge me and go, look, he hasn't cut yet. It's a really great tracking the casino. shot. Really, yeah. Oh, and the
1: tracking shot of the casino is yeah, ridiculous. It great. Uh, yeah, yeah, but
0: yeah. I, it's just not intended for me, but I'm with you that it's going to be a huge hit.
1: Yeah, and it's like you said, superhero fatigue, right? I remember in, in, what, 2007 being at Comic-Con, and the rumblings of, you know, Iron Man come in and all that stuff, and that's, what, 10 years ago? Right. I think Marvel's cranked out over 20 of these kind of movies, from the Guardians of the Galaxy, to Thor, Thor with a haircut, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, 3, 5, it's, it's a lot. yeah. And connecting the dots of which universe is connected to this storyline, and, you know, the they're fighting for Wakanda, like, why doesn't Captain America show up? Like, I don't know. You can pick all the <laughs> <laughs> holes in it if you wanted to but who cares I, I think um like you said for for these characters to be represented on screen for the mix of traditional african costumes and ceremonies mixed with heightened superhero technology and weaponry. When Daniel, when, when, uh, what's his name? The dude from get out. When, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, yeah, Daniel is, in when it, yeah. he rides through on a giant bionic rhino, you're like, okay, this movie's getting nuts. Like, It's, it's a really interesting mix happening and the movie's going to crush. It's already a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes and going to open to at least 150 this weekend here in the States. How about your guy, Forrest Whitaker? He's always so confused in movies now. <laughs> <laughs> the panther Where's the panther And he's always just like confused He never walks in like the smartest guy in the room anymore He's always wise and old now But he's always like What's, What is happening to me And Angela Bassett is always like, Statuesque Domineering, no. tall, statuesque. I gotta get on the like the Angela Bassett bicep routine because sure. like her arm, the gun show is just just out there. She's she's
0: ripped. We'll take two tickets. I'll give it two and a half Maple Leafs. How many how many Maple Leafs, Ben? I I review movies with words, not inanimate <laughs> objects. So I really liked it. <laughs> Uh, thank you for hooking it up, Oscars lunch, and I'm so jealous you got to be there. Before you tell me everything, I have two questions. Did you talk to Daniel Day Lewis, and did you talk to Paul Thomas Anderson?
1: The one time I interviewed Daniel Day Lewis was for the movie Nine, and oh. when they, when, yeah, when they, 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 before he came in, they said, "Don't whatever you do, do not ask him. Do not ask him about living in Italy as a cobbler."
0: Famous story, he left acting in 97, Marty convinced him to Gangster New York he was a cobbler for a time. You can't ask him.
1: Okay, wasn't on the list, wasn't on the notes going in, (laughs) working at the E! Channel at the time. Think they're more consumed with uh, Kate Hudson's workout routine to get ready for the movie, and if she's dating A-Rod, don't know if they really want the Daniel Day-Lewis cobbler stories. And whatever you do, do not ask him about The Boxer. He does not like that movie. Oh, he doesn't? Doesn't like The Boxer, don't ask him about it. Okay. Okay, sounds good. Um, but no, no, no. Daniel Day-Lewis he pulled a Giamatti. He's not doing interviews at the Oscar luncheon. What are you nuts? Um, your buddy Willem Dafoe though started off the day. So here's the thing. Let me okay. let me take wait, you to P- the Oscar luncheon. Did you get P.T. Anderson? No, Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. All right, no, Now no, go, go get ahead, right. um, <laughs> What happens is the Beverly Hilton Hotel, where they have the Golden Globes, hosts the same room hosts a luncheon for all the Oscar nominees. I think this year there's 205 of them, and you uh, get there around nine o'clock in the morning and we get a little cabana by the pool right next to Extra and Access Hollywood and, you know, uh, E! News and all the folks. And throughout the day, starting at around 10 a.m. till about 6 p.m., they just bring in one nominee after another. And you're sitting in this room, so it's like you don't really know who's coming from behind the door. So all of a sudden, 10 o'clock in the morning, here's Willem Dafoe. Okay, cool. Florida Project. Let's break it down. That ending, incredible. Da, da, da. So you get three, four questions. Boom, he gets up, he leaves, and then in walks Dana, Dana Murray and Dave Mullins. You know them from the animated short Lou. And then you got to switch gears. Okay, animated short what's your story and then boom here comes Virgil Williams the screenwriter for Mudbound so all in all i did 45 interviews throughout the day with nominees highlights yeah. being Virgil Williams who wrote Mudbound was very appreciative and excited to be in a category alongside Aaron Sorkin and James Mangold and this is his first ring i just incra- mangold's great yeah he was a friend of uh, the cinephile podcast right yeah. i got to s- spend some time with him yesterday um As well as Best Director, who I think is going to win Guillermo del Toro. Yes. Uh, Did you give him a hug? He's like a teddy bear. I actually did give him a hug. It's funny you say that. (laughs) Um, And he said to me, he said, you know, for him growing up, the Oscars was the ultimate trailer show. Because as a kid in Mexico, you'd watch the Oscars and you'd be like, what are these movies? These are all coming to Mexico in a year. So it's like trailers for the latest movies. And he got to learn about all these films. <laughs> what is this thing called? You know, the silence of the land. I like, a trailer. You get to see clips from the movie. You never saw him in Mexico. So it's funny how he, you know, looked at the Oscars growing up as a kid, but yeah, did 45 interviews. Diane Warren in common. It's like the fourth time I've seen common in a week. And he was like, Oh, you were really, uh, you were really dancing at my house party at Sunday. It's I saw you on the stage. You're kind of losing your mind. <laughs> <laughs> what he said to me. I was like, I know. I was fired up. Adnan was sick. I couldn't get back to the house. I had to stay at the Common house party. <laughs> Dan, Dan um, wants a little more here, I think, on this Common
5: party. So Sunday. so
1: Common at Sundance, he's been a staple there for a long time. He does a house party on Sunday nights. And I had tickets for everybody, and I put it out there. Who wants to come? My wife was on fumes. She crashed. Adnan was barely alive, so he didn't <laughs> want to go. And usually at these things, you know, a guy will do two or three songs in the DJ booth, very crowded, and that's kind of it. Uh, He did an hour and 45 minutes with a live band. He brought on John Legend. He did it in someone's living room. There was about 80 people there. That was one of the best Sundance moments I ever had. I'm still waiting for the part where you get on a couch and start dancing. I get a little excited. Uh, you know, don't let the sensible J. Crew shirt fool you. I am kind of a hip hop nerd. So when he was getting into like water for chocolate stuff, I kind of lost my oh, yeah. mind. And yeah. And uh, the light. Great. song. You know, you know, the fact that he's on stage and he says to me a week later, oh, yeah, you were having a good time. That was that was pretty cool. Man. All right. One more follow up. Did you talk to Kobe Bryant in one of those 45 interviews? I did not talk to Kobe Bean Bryant. Unfortunately, I talked to Rafael Sadiq. That's uh, not Kobe Bryant. That's pretty good, though. Rafael Sadiq. No, come on. Yeah. I mean, Yeah, no Kobe Bean. He, uh, hopefully we'll get him on Oscar Sunday. I I think he's going to win, Adnan. That was kind of the buzz from everybody in his category. You know, he's nominated for best animated short and some of the other people who've been working on their films for years and have been, they're like, we're, we're all just here to congratulate Kobe Bryant. So I agree. He's kind of worked it out for himself.
0: Yeah, the buzz I'm saying, you're right, uh, Benny. He's actually the favorite right now for Dear Basketball. So I actually got, I just got a link to all those shorts. So I can't wait to dive through all those. I feel free. It's tough when you're in the moment going, all right check a couple of press notes. Here's what it is. Once we actually see these, we're going to be good to go.
1: Yeah, so no, no, it was a fun day. We did about 45 of them, including Brian Fogel, who uh, directed Icarus, which is a, you know, he says it's not a sports film. It's a geopolitical thriller. It's available now on Netflix if you want to watch it. It's a, you know, it's the movie starts out. He's trying to use steroids to show that you can slide under the radar from the international doping agencies as he's competing in competitive cycling. And what ultimately happens is he uncovers that the Russians have been supporting athletes using steroids for decades now in Olympic competition and that's why you see the Russians out of this year's Winter Olympics. He doesn't call it a sports movie, um, even though it's set in the world of sports. So yeah, I got to interview him at the luncheon and then last night for a special uh, Q&A as well as my first Lion's Den for Cinephile. So I'll, I'll be sharing that with you guys probably next week. So yeah. yeah, big big day. I mean, Rachel Morrison nominated for cinematography. First woman to be nominated in that category for Mudbound. She's going up against Roger Deacons, who is nominated 14 times this year for Blade Runner and has never won. That's an interesting race. A lot of people are keeping their eyes on. So yeah, it was a really, really fun day. And, uh, and uh, yeah, everyone from the ABC Oscar team though was was still fired up from eating salmon with uh, Wolfgang and Adnan Verk. I mean, Adnan's <laughs> energy permeated long after he left.
0: Oh, that's great to know, buddy. Thank you for hooking me up with them. They're all awesome. I mean, you,
1: seriously, how 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 do we get to do this? It's, it's literally... well, I, I just love it. I, I'm there at 9 a.m. doing interviews. They're bringing in Defoe. They're bringing in the the makeup artist from The Darkest Hour who retired from the business for ten years. And Gary Oldman said the only way I'm doing this movie is if you come back. And he's Signed up, and he's got his third Oscar nomination. And around one o'clock, Mario Lopez walks in. He gets some nachos, you know, he gets some uh, guacamole. Mario he's there. Lopez. He's watching Sports Center in the hotel room. Does his one interview with Greta Gerwig and goes home. So <laughs> nice. It's great. We're doing what we're doing. I love it. But you know, I wish I could have been Greg Louganis in a TV movie so I can show up, do an hour, and leave.
3: When tracking the domestic dust bunny, you commonly find them hiding under wardrobes next to lost socks. Don't move too suddenly, or they'll scurry off. What's utterly fascinating about the dust bunny is that although they are not actually sentient creatures, when they hear that Geico not only saves people money, but also has a 97% customer satisfaction rating, it's obvious to them you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Oh no, it's the dust bunny's only natural predator. Run along, dust bunnies, run along.
1: All right, Sundance interviews, what do you have for us? I had a chance to moderate a panel with Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas, Taboo and Apple Diap from the Black Eyed Peas, as well as hip hop icons Rakim, KRS1, and the star of the Harry Potter movies, Jason Isaacs. Now, why are all these people on the same panel, you ask? It's because Will I Am created a comic book with Marvel that is also a VR experience scored by Hans Zimmer, done by Facebook Oculus, but is also an AR experience where you hold your phone up to the comic, turn the pages, and the images come to life on your phone. It's, it's inc- incredible. And Will I Am's crazy enough to put this whole thing together. So I had a chance to talk with Will, the Black IPs, Jason Isaacs, which is so random, Rakim and KRS-One. You guys, know, powerful voices, obviously, in, in the hip-hop community and just the culture community. What does it mean for you guys to be able to create something in a totally new way to deliver to the youth in a way that we've never seen before?
6: You know, it's inspiring to us as well, man, to be able to, you know, because this is what we do. This is what we do in records, man. We try to... Um, you know, give, give 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 the listener you know some consciousness, something to something something to feed his soul, and this project speaks that in volumes, man. So it, it, it's refreshing to be able to get right to the point and don't have to sugarcoat it with music and 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 nice rhymes. You know, we this this project, you know, what I mean, is it, going to reach the youth and they can see you know what 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 the problem is or what we feel the problem is in the neighborhoods, and maybe they can you know, see it for themselves and kind of, you know, change what's going on.
1: Chris, for somebody like yourself who's touched hip-hop in every corner of the globe, what does it mean to come to Sundance with this project? And you spent time here before?
5: No, this is my first time at Sundance. It's actually a really cool experience. Every time Sundance comes around, I I, I dread the snow. Uh, What you guys are going through right now is absolutely insane. Uh, It's crazy. But when I got out here, though, it's actually pretty cool. It's a ski town, so it's not as treacherous as it would be in New York. You know what I'm saying? So it was it was a wonderful experience up here. And of course, uh, Black IPs has brought us into the future. Uh, what an honor it is to be actually part of a project like this. Come on, me and Rob have been doing this over thirty years. Okay, we started before digital, before the internet. Okay, remember the internet's only 1994. Okay, his is '86. Okay, for the Black IPs to bring us through like this and have us as part I mean come on I'm Zulu X now man. Let's just keep it real real quick, okay? <laughs> this is what it is. And so obviously the honor is on us right now and we stand for that. Like Ra was just saying, this is going out to young people. This is this is the 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 this is hip hop's voice for real and that's why this project is authentic that's why i'm here that's why ra here Latifas on the project slick rick on the project Quan. come on you 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 must have uh, you guys called everybody and everyone responded because we knew what this was we know what this is about so again a shout out to marvel too because out of everything out of out of all of this guess who's <laughs> come on stan lee stan lee is hip-hop <laughs> you mentioned
1: so many you mentioned so many great mcs one you forgot was jason isaacs who got the call up how did you get involved with the projects and what's your relationship like with hip-hop music are you a huge fan
6: uh i got involved because i i shared a a hot tub with taboo here in 2005 and we got talking that's true at sundance but no i got actually I'm a geek. I'm a, I mean, when these guys were just forming their band, I got my first laptop, and I was on, I was on bulletin boards and uh, you know news groups before the internet came along. So when I heard that there was something that was AR and VR and mixing Egyptology and street culture and hip hop, and it was the piece who were always pushing the frontiers of of music and communication, I, you know, they got halfway through the sentence before I jumped on it. It's a fantastic, it's a it's a fantastic and completely new idea.
1: One of the great live shows I've ever been to, one of the great live shows I've ever been to was a random Saturday night at the Hard Rock in Vegas when Apple D App, without you guys, was solo and brought so much energy. It's a show that my friends and I talk about still. You probably don't even remember. You've done 10,000 shows since. But how do you bring the energy of a live show? This is for all the musicians here. How do you bring the energy that can only exist in a live show, how do you bring that then to an AR, VR, comic book, new level film experience? It's great to be able to deliver
7: a, a positive message and that will reach the youth and also uh, telling the story in a in a different medium you know what I mean in a in a more in a more um, uh, like in a more fun way you know what I mean it's like you're, you're introducing something new uh, technology uh, for the kids to learn also. And um, you know, we just um, we want
1: something tangible for for the uh, for the mass to obtain. Obviously, everybody's really excited to roll out the project and be here at Sundance. But taboo, have you gotten over the Steelers' loss in the playoffs? How you doing?
2: I'm gonna be honest. I've, I'm still hurting from the Steelers' loss. Jacksonville. I mean, their defense was incredible. But um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see the Super Bowl as a person that actually got to perform at the Super Bowl. Black peas two thousand eleven and the Steelers were playing although we lost. It's always great. It's it's fun to see the uh um you know, athletes doing their thing, especially athletes standing up like Colin Kaepernick, um people like Bennett doing their part to actually make a statement. Um that's actually uh where we're going with Masters of the Sun. It's a statement. It's a reflection of inner cities. It's a reflection of, you know, where we're at, um, where we come from, hip-hop culture being brought from the South Bronx, coming to Los Angeles. And the story intertwines, you know, fiction, but also conspiracy and and fact. Um, But for us, it's like, you know, uh, it's important for the message to go out because it's not just about sports. It's it's about actually making a a difference in the communities. We've been doing a lot of groundwork on our own, Uh, not to go on a tangent, but uh, we've been doing individual work in our own communities and trying to bring that to Black IPs. Um, now that we're doing Masters of the Sun, it was an easy transition to go from, like, being on the res, working with Native American kids, being in the Philippines, Apple being in the Philippines, Will being in Ball Heights, doing his thing with STEM, uh, the I Am Angel Foundation. But the most important thing is, like, uplifting and giving the kids something to, uh, to have hope and inspiration and to dream big. And I think it's a really
1: cool way to introduce younger generations to the music of Rock Him and the music of K R S one. So Will for you was that part of the intention of putting the project together or was something that's almost like a an added bonus to the project is that a young person might see Mass as his son and finally discover who the eighteenth letter is.
7: Yeah, so nineteen seventy eight was an awesome year, uh for music and transition from disco and to hip hop. And nineteen eighty eight, you suckers, was awesome, you know, it was it was <laughs> It was it was what told me like yo this is what I want to do, and um, 1998 we released our first record, and 2008 we were here at, at Sundance and I did Yes We Can for Obama and helped helped uh, you know move the needle to you know get him to be the uh, Democratic nominee and later on then president um, and, and 2018 you know it's a new medium and so you know hip hop is taken many shapes and forms and now it's you know it it's up to us to define what the form is going to be uh for vr and ar and 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 so proud to do that and uh and and start back at zero again right so and what better mcs to like educate entertain inspire but krs and rakim to be a part of this project and this is the first so that means like there's going to be other vr ar projects And guess who we doing it with first? Like, I can't wait to see, like, a full-blown Rakim VR AR and a full-blown KRS VR AR. Like, what? We starting right now, and this is what it looks like. This is, like, this is Def Jam for VR AR from the beginning. This is, like, Jive Records, Sleeping Bag Records from the beginning right now. This is Sugar Hill right now from the beginning, VR yeah,
6: Sugar Hill. Can I just say, thank God you didn't sell a screenplay to Hollywood. They would never have let you tell the story you tell the way you want to tell it, how you've done it in this, oh, wow. in this project.
1: Masters of the Sun is the project. Last question, because your word is the gospel, who's going to win the Super Bowl?
6: Whoa, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, uh, being, being that I do got a little football knowledge, man. I'm gonna have to upset some people, man. I'm going to, going with, uh, the Jaguars, man.
1: There you heard it from Rakim the God. The Jaguars are winning the Super Bowl. Take it to Vegas. Got
6: that bigger right now, man. You know, Tom Brady, hell of a cat, man. But, you know, them, them cats is real hungry, man. So, you know, we're gonna see it in a, in a minute. My manager gonna hate me for that. He a Tom Brady fan.
1: <laughs> Appreciate the time, Masters of the Sun. Be sure to check it out soon. Thanks, guys. Listen, Rakim, the god MC, the 18th letter, didn't get the Super Bowl prediction right. That's okay. We won't hold it against him. Um, But as William said to me, he said, you know, Adnan, people are saying right now, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I watched the Super Bowl. I watched Game of Thrones. He's telling me that in 10 years, 15 years, people are going to say... I lived Stranger Things. Oh, what'd you do this weekend? I lived Adnan's kids birthday party because we're going to feel so connected to the content that we're experiencing. We're not just watching it. We're experiencing it. It's going to create a feeling as if we lived it. So last night I lived poor Zingus's ACL getting torn in the garden. Like I lived it. I'm that close to it. Um, and yeah, Will, I am one of the great visionary minds we have working in, in entertainment today. Just absolutely insane. Oh that's great dude. Like like I said it wasn't
0: just a matter of movies these are like musicians as well. So the fact that those stars are there that's a
1: collection of heavyweights. Well again Sundance is about discovery. You're discovering new talent, discovering new films, discovering new projects, discovering new platforms and and discovering like a different side of your favorite artists and that's what I've always loved about the festival. Uh, that's what I loved about the film Monster, you know, directed by Anthony Mandler, a guy who had done music videos over the years, and now we're discovering a new side of his talents as a feature filmmaker. It's a story of a young boy, wrong place, wrong time. And we are left now with this court case, and we have to decide, is he guilty? Is he innocent? The young boy's played by um, Kelvin Harrison Jr., who's a terrific young actor. But the film's produced by Tanya Lee, who's Spike Lee's wife. I had a chance to catch up with her. Uh, my old buddy Mike Jackson, a big Eagles fan, he runs Get Lifted Entertainment, which is John Legend's production company, who I also spoke with, the producers of Monster at Sundance. Joining me right now at Sundance, is one of the many producers of Monster is Tanya Lee, who you have to say that you have to be so proud to be here at this moment, because I've heard just how hard you guys fought for yeah. this story. So how does this moment feel for you today?
3: You know, it's a 12 year journey for Nikki and I on this project. So it is kind of out of body to actually finally be here, to be here at Sundance, to be here at the Eccles Theater at Sundance, for people to be talking about the film and so excited about it. It's, um, it's really phenomenal.
1: I've always believed that the most impactful way for a story to be told is through a feature film. So how important is this story to you and how important do you think it will be for audiences when they see it?
3: Well, you know, this story is about a seventeen year old boy who finds himself on trial for his part in a robbery that goes wrong. It's really a cautionary tale to all teens, especially black teens, about how one moment in your life can change everything. Uh it's personal to me. I have a I have a black son. Uh and and I agree that this is, why I do, this is why I do what I do, because art does have the power to change the world, to change the policies, to change the way we live our lives, and I'm hoping that Monster entertains and also inspires some change.
1: You've been coming to this uh, festival for a long time, as have I, and what I always love about Sundance is that there's a real sense of discovery. So what do you discover about yourself as a filmmaker and about the state of movies every year when you come out to Utah?
3: Well, I have to say, this particular Sundance, what I am discovering is that there really is a push. Specifically here at Sundance to diversify the voices that we hear from film, whether it be women, whether it be uh, people of color, and I, I've been really struck by that, and really touched by it, and moved by it. And I just feel, you know, very fortunate to find myself in a, a, a group of incredible filmmakers and to be among them. You know, it's uh, you struggle for so long, you know, in your, your little office, your little zinky office, trying to get things to happen. And then here I end up on this incredibly elite stage, like, how am I here? It's just, it's really amazing. I
1: love seeing you here, and I love seeing Spike here. He's in the corner, and I go up to him, and I've known him since I was a kid. So I say, hey, good to see you. Knicks lost by 20 the other (laughs) night. What else is new? Right. When is the most dejected, defeated you've ever seen him as a Knicks fan?
3: I think it was, and see, I'm not good at remembering the exact game, but I think it was the game that the Knicks lost in the playoffs when Charles Smith, couldn't get up.
1: (laughs) Stopped again, stopped again. Yeah,
3: that was, I think that had to be the worst I have ever seen him, you know. Do
1: you you think we'll see a Knicks title in our lifetime?
3: Spike always holds out hope. So, you know, I'm hopeful. My poor children have no idea of what it means for the Knicks to win. It's so sad. So hopefully they'll pull it together and figure it out.
1: Congratulations on the movie and congrats on being back here at Sundance.
3: Thanks, Ben. really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, John Legend has been at Sundance a number of years now. Adnan, he he's produced documentaries, he's championed feature films, and he's lent music to films. You know, John Legend and Common and and Will I Am, and to have these guys out at Sundance and bringing what they do to the film experience, I think is really cool and and great to see Jennifer Hudson, who's been through a lot obviously in her life, back on the big screen. And Jeffrey Wright is just good in everything he does. So yeah, Monster is. I bet you it goes to Can and sells and and watch keep your eyes on the, in the trades for monster that's going to be a big movie awesome what else we got so i'm out at sundance and i'm looking for filmmakers and i'm trying to find directors and artists but the basketball fan in me, it's always there, Adnan. So on the last day of Sundance, I caught up with Tough Juice, Karan Butler, who just retired, um, announced his retirement, I believe, today, which is kind of odd considering he was out at Sundance on a Wednesday in January. So I would have assumed he had <laughs> given up basketball about two weeks ago. Um, but Karan's life um, was shared in a book he wrote called Tough Juice that was optioned by Mark Wahlberg, who is going to direct. It's going to be his first time directing – The story of Karan Butler coming of age in Racine, Wisconsin, a tough small town in Wisconsin. Karan was arrested, I think, 15 times by the age of 15, saw jail time, was really going down the wrong path. And basketball and, and some coaches and some instrumental people in his life really looked out for him and saved him and going to Connecticut to get out of that environment uh, really gave him a second lease in life. And, and yeah, I caught up. It was at a Maverick Carter uninterrupted panel with Gotham Chopra who just directed Tom versus time and Karam Butler, tough juice. I asked him about working with Mark Wahlberg and being out at Sundance. So of course I'm going to find a basketball player out in Utah. All right. Joining me now at Sundance, you know, I talk to actors, I talk to filmmakers, but very rarely do I get a chance out here to talk to a real three and D guy, a guy who could still help the Knicks out. But now he's transitioned into the content space. He's an analyst. He's an author. Lots to get into with Karan Butler, who's making his first time here at Sundance. Never came up from Park uh, from Salt Lake after playing the jazz (laughs) on the road and tried to sneak in a movie up here.
4: You know what? Uh, I usually always explore these uh, these grounds when I'm in town, but this is the first time that I actually came to Sundance. I got the invitation through Chase and obviously uninterrupted with Maverick, and um, it was a, an amazing panel to be a part of. And I just wanted to you know to add some insight. Let's talk about your relationship with film.
1: Obviously your book has been optioned by Mark Wahlberg and people know about that. But what were the movies you watched growing up in Racine, Wisconsin that really stayed with you from your childhood?
4: Man, you know what? I got a well range of stories and movies that I watch it. Uh, listening from The Color Purple to A League of Their Own to Godfather, Scarface to, you know, something a little laid back, still magnolias to, you know, uh, E.T., Gremlins. I mean, you name it. Like I had a, wide range of things that I just love watching and um you know uh I got a lot of stories to tell from those things that kind of like has really impacted my life.
1: I'd love to be a, a fly in the wall on the Wizards team plane when you suggest putting on steel magnolias for the guys <laughs> how that
4: would go. Over. No it was crazy you know what though because I was one of the team captains I'm pretty sure they would have just probably rolled with it but uh yeah, there was definitely something different right there.
1: Were uh some of the guys you play with over the years
4: big Cinephiles, like who are the biggest movie fans? Because I know a lot of NBA players watch films on the road. You know what? Uh Kobe was huge into uh you know cinema just because, you know, he would talk about, you know, uh one of the movies that like really inspired him and you know he passed it along to me was uh whiplash. And you know, talking about, you know, someone just trying to achieve their goal and their destiny and their dream. And, you know, going above and beyond, you know, going pushing themselves to desperate measures to accomplish that goal. And that was something that he passed along to me and told me just to, you know, keep that in sight and stay goal-oriented. So that was like, you know, that was a jewel that he dropped on me.
1: Comes full circle because Whiplash premiered here at the Sundance Film Festival, I think, four years ago. And it was one of those moments that everybody opening night was like, oh, we've discovered new talent. Talk me through your playing career when you discovered new talent as a player, when there was a rookie or a young player in the league that you said you had that
4: whiplash Sundance moment where you were like, oh, this is the guy. Yeah, you know what? I discovered that as, you know, being in the studio and watching this summer, particularly uh, the summer lead uh, showcase with the Lakers and um, I think it was the Lakers or the Knicks or whoever it may have been and uh, Kyle Kuzma. You know, he he comes out and he plays just at an amazing pace. And, you know, uh, I was able to call the game sideline reporting for TNT last night. And just seeing what, you know, he's become and it's going to become, he has no ceilings on his, you know, ability. And, you know, I just feel like he is a superstar to make it. So Kyle Kuzma is the Miles Teller of the NBA. Yeah. I,
1: I would go with that. <laughs> I like that. I'll, let's talk about your project with Mark Wahlberg. How did you guys link up, and what did Mark say to you that made you realize that he was the great uh, a great partner in telling your story?
4: Well, you know, you, you talk about film, and you talk about, you know, I, I refer to him as the Michael Jordan of, you know, the, that the entertainment space. And, you know, I feel like he's the jack of all trades. You know, he's someone that, you know, gets it. You know, you see the, the real stories that he tell from Invincible to, you know, uh, the, the, the story that he just put out, you know, with the, the oil spill, the BP oil spill, you know, uh, Deepwater Horizon. Um, you know, so many things that he talk about and even all the money in the world, you know, he's a, he's just a genuine guy. He knows how to take the story and keep it authentic and, you know, put it on screen. So it's an inspiration. And it's coming across exactly the way that, you know, my story needs to come across and it needs to be inspirational and inspiring to so many people. And it's not taken away from the story. You know, because sometimes when you get involved with theater, you know, things are subtracted, but many things are added for theater. But he has a unique way and I watched him over the years. He's have, he have a unique way of just making it exactly what it is and keeping it real authentic. You look at a film like The Fighter, for example, which is from where he's
1: from, or even what he did with Patriots Day, having a lot of the real-life people. Strong, yeah.
6: Wow. Yeah.
4: So tell me a little bit about Racine, Wisconsin, and how we're going to see it portrayed on screen. You know, Racine, Wisconsin is you know a small-knit community, population just under 100,000. Um, but, you know, per its uh, population, the crime rate is astronomical. And, you know, particularly in the 90s, in the time that I was raised, you know, we're going to touch on things that, you know, uh, that I seen jump when I first jumped off the porch and adversity that I had to face. You know, going to school, what did I have to go through to get to school? You know what I mean? What did I have to go through to get from school back to my porch to go back into my doorstep, uh, the doorway of my home? So, you know, it's, it's not a basketball film. You know, basketball is the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, that story is, you know, well-documented. But the other stuff behind the scenes is, you know, so much to be touched upon. So I think that's just going to be like (laughs) – it's like it's the most therapeutic thing. Like I did it with telling the story in the book. But it's gonna be the most therapeutic thing to see so many people inspire and understand that seeing is believing and you can come back from anything. Any truth to the rumor that Mark might actually direct the project, first time directing? Yeah, he, he <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that. And you know, he's you know, straddling the fence, but the the big thing is that, you know, he showed the script to Pete Bird. Pete Bird really loves it and um is over like overly excited about it. So You know, we look to be probably filming somewhere in November. And, um, you know, it's just I'm in awe, man. Like having a conversation with Mark last week and going to the opening of the Wahlburgers uh, on Sunset and just talking about it and sitting down with the team, it was just like, man, this thing really happening. I can imagine the catering on set. It's going to be all aqua hydrate, protein bars,
1: and, and Wahlburgers.
4: Yeah, I usually have my aqua hydrate everywhere I go, man. So uh excuse me for not having it with me right now, but the Wahlburgers is definitely going to be full effect. I wouldn't be surprised if he opened one in Racine after he uh, do, does the filming there. Yep.
1: One of my favorite basketball movies of all time, uh, Hoop Dreams, premiered here at Sundance many years ago. Talk to me
4: about some of your favorite basketball movies or favorite moments of basketball on screen. You know what? I, I would have to say um, Above the Rim uh, with T- Tupac Shakur was a huge one. Blue Chips uh, with Shaquille O'Neal. Um, I thought that was... You know, dead on. And then, you know, I got to give a lot of love and respect to my guy. Uh, he got game because, you know, Ray Allen, you know, a UConn alum, just acting alongside with Denzel Washington and taking it to that place, uh, he did a magnificent job of, you know, just being that 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 athlete in that role. So I love it. I always wanted to ask Ray why he didn't pursue more acting opportunities after
1: that. You know, it was his first time on screen, he's with like you said all these major players, and then I guess that he didn't have the bug and he just gave it up and just kept working on his jump shot.
4: Yeah, you know what? Uh he you know what? He he actually touched on that and said that he probably if he could do it all again, he probably would have did a little bit more of it. You know what I mean? Cuz he was really good at it. You know, and um, but you know that wasn't the thing because you know back then, if guys would have ventured off a little bit too much, then they would have thought that you wasn't so serious about your craft, being basketball. So he did it right. He's still a walking Hall of Famer, and now he still can do that because he looks the same.
1: I've been in this Sundance bubble for like the last week, seeing films and talking to filmmakers. So kind of you know checked out of of covering the NBA for a week or so, but. I know that, you know, the the Thunder haven't figured it out yet. The Cavs are obviously a soap opera that's playing out in the media. Uh, You you know, you look at Kawhi's situation now in San Antonio. There seems to be all this kind of dysfunctioning happening around the league. Is that because of the Warriors being so dominant and everything's smooth sailing for those guys?
4: Listen, at the end of the day, the competition is the, the, the Golden State Warriors. They're that good. And, and and they're the bar. They're the standard. And, you know, copying uh philosophies is a form of flattery. You know, and you see so many people trying to kind of imitate exactly what they created. And the closest thing out there is the Houston Rockets, you know, and that's in the Western Conference. If you look at the Eastern Conference, whoever come out the East is going to get pounded on by the Golden State Warriors. That's facts. And it's, it's just, it's sad to see because the pace that they play with and the style that they play and now having, adding Kevin Durant to that, to that mix is just extremely tough for someone to compete with them at that pace that they play. And then now you add Kevin Durant in the half court. He's a guy that can dissect you. He can play with his back to the basket. You know, they can get a chance to rest during possessions, run down the shot clock a little bit. And that's just a tough pill to swallow. So everyone's trying to figure it out, and how do you dethrone them? And I just don't see nobody out there assembled. I I see some teams out there that can push them to six, possibly, but actually beat them in a seven-game series with everyone healthy? I don't see that happening.
1: All right, last question here. I've been a long-suffering Knicks fan. It's been (laughs) over 40 years. The fact that I even say the Knicks and you laugh. Tells you a little bit of my state of mind. It's been over 40 years since they've won a title. I'm out here producing movies and TV shows. What do you think I have a better chance of seeing in my lifetime? The
4: Knicks win a championship or for me to win an Oscar? The Oscar coming, bro. It's coming. Like, you know what? All right, okay, let's be realistic. LeBron's going to play another how many other years? Who knows? So they're not coming out the Eastern Conference. If he goes west, you still got Toronto, Boston, And the Wizards better. So they're still not coming out the Eastern Conference. And then the reign of the Warriors is going to continue to, you know, be stretched out because they got three superstars that can, you know, um, continue to lead that ball club and that organization in the right direction. Kevin Durant's just, you know, hitting his prime. He's going to be good for the next seven to nine years. (sighs) I just don't see it happening, like, in the next 15 years, I don't see it happening. Sundance is a place to get inspired, to feel like there's I hope just told out you there. You
1: don't want an Oscar? Yeah, but I'm a Nick fan. I want to see a title. I don't need more another paperweight in my office. I want to see a Knicks just championship. Do,
4: go to the NBA store, get your name on the back of a jersey, put it up in your man cave, and then put the Oscar in front of the jersey with your name on the back. And they're your championship.
1: Clearly, Karam (laughs) Butler has never met Mrs. Lyons. I (laughs) appreciate seeing you. Uh, I don't think that would fly so well in the house. I appreciate you spending some time out here, and I can't wait to see your story on the big screen. Anytime, bro. Thank you. So that was Karam Butler at the Uninterrupted panel out at Sundance. And Adnan, when you hear Mark Wahlberg directing – how does that make you feel? And he's directing the Karan Butler movie. It's so random. As to
0: said, we know Wahlberg loves sports. Obviously, you know him better than I do. We've had him here a couple times in the cinephile, but he's obviously into it. Like, you know, sometimes certain actors, they mention their sports fans. You ask them a question, he's like, eh, fan of name. But Wahlberg is legit. He's into it. And... You know what? Good for him to for stretch his
1: creative muscles by directing. He developed a, like a real relationship with Jimmy Butler. He's kind of like a mentor to Jimmy Butler. Uh, he's really close, obviously, with Brady and, and and Bob Kraft and the Patriots and all that stuff. But his relationship with Karan Butler is really interesting. And, and apparently, and Mark's told me this, and Karan mentioned it too, like the movie's going to kind of stop when he goes to Connecticut. So it's really just about his... You know, experience growing up in Racine and, you know, if Wahlberg goes out there in September and films a movie, you know, there's going to be a Wahlbergers and Aquahydrate and there's going to be protein bars out there like Racine, Wisconsin is going to get all the Wahlberg business uh, after he leaves, I'm sure. All right, there you have it, Adnan, with your interviews with Paul Rudd and Nick Cage and Ethan Hawke, and I've got the Black Eyed Peas and Jason Isaacs, and we talked to John Legend and Young Guru. I mean, look, we really we really covered Sundance. I feel like we hit it from every possible angle, and the fact you even survived Sundance <laughs> is a tremendous accomplishment unto itself. I was about to say, thank you so much for making it happen, Ben. You know that Sundance is on my bucket list. And
0: listen, all kidding aside... It's a wonderful experience. I encourage people to go. I'm not trying to be like Park City, Utah tourism, but honestly, this is a city of 100,000 people, and you get no, no, 70- no
1: this is a city of 10,000
0: people, Adnan. No, no, 10,000 no, people. No, no. Remember the the driver told us 100,000 people, and they get 70,000 visitors.
1: No, 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 no. We got to get. We got to hit the math on that. I think. I think they. I think it's they are a 10,000. 000- Person oh, city, even more and insane. they get like seven hundred thousand. Yeah, <laughs> Park, Park City population eight thousand two hundred and ninety nine. <laughs> oh my
0: God, even more impressive how they handle it, man. But listen, I just love the fact you're like, dude, you can get around easily. Hop on those buses. Everyone's super friendly. Uh, the weather, I mean, it was cold, but it wasn't brutal. Like even early on, you were like, this is drier than I'm used to. And we got a little bit of snow, but. Honestly, man, next year, maybe it'll happen again, but I just I just don't want to be on the bunk bed again.
1: No, no, Uh, I'll get you a bed. I was literally just about to say, next year, you're going to get a bed, you're going to get your own shower. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Thanks for making it happen, Ben. You're the best.
0: All right. Thanks so much to Ben Lyons. He's the best. Of course, we are going to reunite at the Academy Awards for Oscar.com. Look forward to those vignettes coming out in a couple weeks that I was able to do. And also, as I'd mentioned on the previous podcast, Ben will now be a part of every episode, The Lion's Den. His own self-contained segment coming next time to Cinephile. And, of course, we'll have, uh, reviews of all the latest films. Since the next episode will be the last one, probably before the Oscars, uh, we'll talk about some documentaries that I've seen, including Icarus, which you heard Ben mentioned. Also the shorts, what to look forward to. So more Oscar themes coming to Cinephile. Until then, I'll see you at the movies.